0: Hey, good morning, folks. Welcome to church. Let me add a welcome to Paul's. If you're visiting with us, a very warm welcome. My name's Pete, pastor here at Destiny. And uh, we're going to take a journey. We're going to go into uh, the Bible. And we're actually going to, just now that we're properly into December, we're going to be focusing on Christmas themes over the next, uh, you know, like Santa and all that kind of stuff. Over the next few weeks. So uh, we're going to dig into the Bible and look at that. So let's pray and let's ask God to to meet with us. Father, thank you so much that you're with us here and you're with the folks joining us online. God, thank you that your presence is among us. And God, it's a delight every year just to celebrate and remember the amazing events at Christmas. What God did 2,000 years ago has truly changed the world and can change our lives. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, that you'd make incredibly real these ancient truths. As we dig into the Bible, I pray the pages of Scripture would just jump off the pages and impact us so deeply. We invite you, come Holy Spirit, teach us, impact us. God, if this is someone's first time today, whether they're joining us online or in person, I pray today that um, they would just feel the presence of God and they would connect with you in a real special way. I pray that people who don't yet know you, would leave this experience with a relationship with God. And I pray for each one of us deep in our faith, we ask. Come, Holy Spirit, move among us. Help me to teach and help us to hear in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome and welcome the folks joining us online. Why don't you folks here join me in welcoming these guys. Welcome, guys. It's great to have you part of us, uh, our online congregation. So good to have you connecting from farther afield and and nearby as well good to have you here okay so there was a little it was a, there was a little boy it was he was p1 and it was their kids nativity play at school and they were getting to they, they were choosing the parts who was going to play what part in the nativity he was desperate to be joseph desperate to be joseph but another kid got chosen for joseph and he was really annoyed that another kid got chosen for joseph and he instead was given the place of you're the innkeeper. And he wasn't very happy. But anyway, he was the innkeeper. And the day of the performance arrived, and all the grannies and grandpas were there, and the mums and dads were there, and they were watching the kids in this kids' nativity performance. And uh, the moment came when Mary and Joseph came to the innkeeper and knocked the door of the inn. And Joseph said, Can I and my Can my wife and I come in, please? And the innkeeper opened the door. And he kind of, he remembered that moment, I wasn't chosen to be Joseph. And he said this, he kind of went off piste. He said, she can come in, but you can't, because I should have been Joseph. And he let her in and closed the door after her, kind of went a little bit off track there. I want to be Joseph. I want to be Joseph. Now, when it comes to the real Christmas account, uh, there wasn't any issue over who wanted to be Joseph, but there was issue over who wanted to be king, Herod's. He was like the kid in the nativity, and he was saying, I want to be the king. I want to be the king. He was desperate. And because of that desperation, dreadful things happened. Uh, Look, sorry, Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, and this is the account of when the wise men, the magi, arrived to visit Herod. Verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the reign, during the time of King Herod's. Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. And they quote one of the hundreds of prophecies predicting the coming of Jesus into the world. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go... Search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. So coming into the house, this isn't a stable. Jesus is now, this is, this is a year and a half on from the birth. He's a toddler. He's walking, he's talking. And he says, coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him, bowing down to a toddler. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod's, they returned to their country by another route And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And it goes on and says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that they had heard from the Magi. I want to give you just three, kind of three step journey Uh, today. I'm going to talk first of all about proud humanity. I want to then talk about a humble king. And then I want to talk about humble humanity. Proud humanity. Proud humanity. This 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 is Herod. He epitomizes proud humanity. Herod was a man who, historically, he was a very, very paranoid man, lived in constant paranoia that someone was going to try and take his crown constant paranoia that there was conspiracies going on and he had constant suspicions over people who were around him to the point by which he became very jealous and very ruthless that's what paranoid people do trying to control everything became very jealous and ruthless he killed his favorite wife he executed her because he suspected her of treason even though nothing was going on it was all in his head he killed another wife he had 10 wives in all by the way he killed another wife again suspecting treason mutinied. He was just so paranoid. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his uncle. He killed his mother-in-law. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, okay, I, I get that one. But no, that was wrong too. That was wrong as well. He killed three of his 14 kids. In fact, Emperor Augustus, uh, the Roman emperor, commented about Herod, hearing about all these executions emperor augustus said it would be preferable to be herod's pig than to be his son <sighs> probably safer in a final act of vindictiveness herod's just before dying rounded up a, a number of key jewish leaders from the jewish community and he ordered that when he died they were to be executed and he did this because he knew that when he died no one was going to be mourning people didn't like the guy So he wanted at least some people to be mourning, so he ordered that those Jewish leaders would be executed so that at least there'd be mourning at the time of his death. How warped is that? Thankfully, when he died, the, the order he'd given was overruled and they were set free. Now, when the Magi arrived, historically, this was in the last year of Herod's life, a year, maybe even at most two years before he died. He was a severely ill man, History tells us that he was dying a slow death with a disease. Uh, his body was regularly going into convulsions. His breath was foul. His skin was covered with open sores. And he was rapidly losing his mind. That was the Herod they came to see. And here's my question. Why on earth did he feel so threatened? I mean, even if the king had been born, right? He's a kid. Just the kids. I mean, he was on, Herod was on his way out. Why the paranoia? And that's the kind of warped thing about proud humanity. There's a warpness about it. There's a kind of deludedness about it. And see, the root behind all the fruit that was bad in Herod's life was this pride. Herod's had been reigning already for 40 years by this point, and he had been declared by the Roman Senate the king of the Jews. That was his designation. And he loved that designation. He was proud of that designation. The Jews resented the designation. They didn't like him, but he loved it. He loved this title, King of the Jews. This title that was given to them by the Roman Senate. It was like the kid in the nativity saying, I want to be king, desperate to hold on and control his position. Jesus speaking in reference to the Jewish people, but also actually much broader, Jesus speaking in reference to human beings, told a parable. And in the conclusion of the parable, he said this, Luke chapter 19, verse 14, his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him, God, saying, we do not want this man to be our king. Human beings, since time began, have resented having God as their king we do not want this man to be our king. And yet, human beings have usurped God as official king and have enthroned ourselves, clinging on to power, longing to have the crown on our own heads. You see, it actually wasn't Herod's that killed Jesus and put over his head the king of the Jews. Herod didn't kill him. He would have if he could have, but he didn't. It wasn't Herod who killed him. It was ordinary human beings in Jerusalem who killed Jesus. Why? Because it's not just Herod saying, I want to be king. It's human beings who say that. We're all saying, I want to be the king. And that's been our problem since the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan in his attempts to undermine the human race who were created in the image of gods, Satan comes to Eve and tempts her. Listen to the temptation. For God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. The fall of mankind came because we wanted to be gods don't want to be under God. We want to be king. We want to be sovereign, not under a sovereign. And it's no surprise that Satan tempted humankind in this same way, because Satan himself fell to the same temptation. Recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14, Satan said, I will make myself like the Most High. Satan desired the very throne of God. Satan desired the very accolade and worship that God alone deserved. And that, was the fall of Satan. As Tim Keller, the great pastor and theologian, wisely said, the fastest way to be like Satan is trying to be God. So true. The fastest way to be like Satan is to try to be God. Your ego is not your amigo. (laughs) It is your enemy. This pride in humanity, yes, it's inherited in a in a hugely magnified way. But I'm telling you, it's exactly the same in us. I want to be the king. What's the fruit of us holding on to our own sovereignty, not submitting to the sovereignty of God? What's the fruit of us clinging on to this position and wanting to be our own rulers? Well, first of all, it leads to insecurity, just like Herod's paranoia, insecurity. If you're trying to be God, you become a control freak. You try and control everything around you. start to become paranoid, start to control things, start to become fearful. Ends up in tons of broken relationships. Pride, that root also also causes the fruit of darkness. Serious darkness, demonic darkness. Herod it says in Matthew chapter 2 verse 16, Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. It's It's the craziest thing utterly we would agree demonic demonic in an attempt to try and rid the world of the messiah the true king he decided i'll wipe out a whole generation of kids from an area utterly demonic i mean that what gets someone to the point where they would do that well here's the key james chapter 3 verse 16 listen to this this is the door that someone opens to allow that kind of darkness into their soul For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Whoa. I mean, you think the the first part of the verse should say something like, where there's thefts and attacks and murders, there is disorder and every evil thing. It doesn't say that. It goes right below the surface and gives you the root behind all the bad fruit in humanity, behind every Holocaust, behind, behind every ruined family, behind every situation that's turned crazily and gone dark. Where there is jealousy and selfish ambition. I want to be king. There exists disorder and every evil thing. Mass killing of children is demonic. Last year in Scotland, 13,286 children were killed in the womb. 255 children every day. Human beings created in the image of God. The mass killing of children is demonic. And that fruit comes from a root of pride. It's the, you see, according to the the Guttmacher Institute, 76% of all abortions happen because it interferes with life. It jeopardizes your nice royal palace. Gets in the way of your sovereign rule. So I will decide that they cannot live. Like a monarch, you make that decision. But that was never a decision God enabled any human being to have over another human being. But whether it's abortion, or whether it's addiction, or lust, or darkness in your soul, it's the root behind all those roots is the same fall of Satan himself. Pride in the human soul, damaging and dangerous. Repent of pride, but there is incredible hope. Listen to this, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12. I want you to read this verse with me this is the hope read it with me one two three before disaster the heart of a man is haughty and filled with self-importance but humility comes before honor the good news is that we can repent for prides and turn to God in humility that's good news and then with that humility will come honor let me tell you the tale of two kings. Once upon a time, there was a king who lived in luxury. This king had all the comforts and conveniences that even king, every other king would envy. His palace didn't get too hot or too cold like many other palaces. The temperature was always kept at the exact level the king wanted. His palace had a system of pipes that gave cool drinking water and hot bath water anytime he wanted A system of lamps made the palace bright at midnight as it was at noon. A system system for rapidly sending and receiving messages kept him in touch with people and events, and a system of smooth roads and speedy chariots made it possible for him to travel widely. The king was healthy and wealthy and secure. He had doctors and nurses who knew how to deal with the great he knew how to deal with a great deal of problems the human body faced and was able, were able to cure various diseases. The king had every pleasure he could want and imagine. For foods, he could eat any kind of meat or fresh fruit from all over the world. Nothing to mention a sle- splendid selection of delicacies and desserts. For entertainment, all he had to do was twitch his fingers, and the funniest jester in the land would enter his room and start performing. With another twitch of his fingers, he could have dismissed the jester and bring in a group of performers who would offer him a show filled with excitement and violence and blood. And still with another twitch of his fingers, he would parade in front of him the best looking people in the kingdom and they would strip naked and perform for him to watch. Being ruler, the king bowed to no authority but himself. He could say whatever he wanted and do whatever he pleased. His philosophy was if I say something, then it's true for me. If I do something, then it's right for me. I am my own person. Would you like to be this king? Once upon a time is actually right now. The average person today has many things that only kings of the past dreamt of, and no king really enjoyed. Our plumbing and electrical lighting systems surpass any of the ancient kings. Our phones and computers surpass the most elaborate system of carrying messages. Our cars are the fastest chariots and our doctors, hospitals and medicines enable us to live far past the expected age of any of, the, of most of the ancient kings in the past. Our stores and supermarkets and refrigerators and freezers offer the best selection of foods and drinks surpassing any kitchen of any ancient monarch. For entertainment, we twitch our fingers on our tablets or on our TVs, and we have instant access to the funniest jesters, gladiators, and sexual performers beyond what any ancient king could have imagined. But once upon a time, there was another king. He was all powerful, there was literally nothing he couldn't do. He was also so rich, there was literally nothing he didn't own. He was so comfortable, there was literally no happiness he didn't enjoy. But this king did something very strange. He left his power, his riches, and his comforts behind because he loved his subjects so much. He went and shared their darkness, their poverty. He befriended lepers and despised outcasts and sinners. Eventually, he got on the wrong side of some local power brokers. When he told them who he really was, that he was their king, they wouldn't believe him. Instead, they tortured him and killed him. The king could have stopped them and rescued himself at any point, but he didn't. He chose instead to die. Although this king was willing to die, he wasn't willing to stay dead. He came to life again and went to some poor friends and told them to spread the word about him. And then he returned to his palace to reign. This king's name is Jesus. Let's hear it for Jesus. And he's the humble king. Philippians chapter 2 says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that's above every name, the the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Say with me, Jesus Christ is Lord. (laughs) Jesus Christ is Lord. Is Lord. Over the centuries, the entrance to Bethlehem's Church of the Nativity has got smaller and smaller to stop marauders on horses running and stealing the precious treasures within. So it's got smaller, and it's now called the door of humility. It's so low that when I was there a few years ago, you've got to bow right down to get in. You've got to bow down to get in. You've got to bow the knee in order to get in. And it's the same with the kingdom of God. You want to get into this relationship with God. You want to get into this eternal life, and it is eternal life. You want to know this great forgiveness, this complete restoration of your soul, declaring righteous, no matter who you are or what you've done, forgiven, total forgiveness, declared righteous, innocent before a holy God. You get it by every knee bowing and every tongue confessing, Jesus Christ is Lord. You dethrone yourself and you enthrone the true King, then all of a sudden by doing that, authority is restored to you. Light comes in your darkness. Freedom comes in your soul. And that brings me to my last point. Humble humanity. You see, Herod's is like a little toddler wanting to have a part in a play, was saying, I want to be the king. But the magi were very different. They said in Matthew 2 verse 2, Where is he who has been born king? We have come to worship him. So uh, help me finish the line. Ready? We three kings of Orient are. Now, none of that is true. First of all, they weren't kings, okay? They were magi, they were magistrates. They were astronomers from the Persian Empire. Secondly, they weren't from the Orient. These dudes had never been in China in their lives, all right? They were Persians, okay? Number three, uh, there weren't three of them, okay? We don't know how many there were of them. There were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but we don't know there were three people. I mean, why would there only be three of them? These people would typically travel in convoys. There may have been several dozen of them. However, by the way, so you can bin all your Christmas cards now. They're all promoting false doctrine and heresy. You can bin them all However, let me give you this, they were wise, they were wise, and they were humble, and wisdom and humility are hugely inseparably linked. Uh, What was the fruit of their humility? Well, humility brings security. Just like pride brings paranoia and fear, humility brings security, because what, they they traveled 500,000 miles from the Persian territory through bandit-ridden territory, through desert lands on horse or by camel, would have taken them at least three months one way. And they traveled, you know, at a time when it wasn't safe to travel, and they carried incredibly expensive treasures on that journey. And, I mean, where'd you get the, the gumption to do something like that? Where'd you get the confidence to kind of take that step? And the answer is they had faith, and they were secure because this was from God's safest place you can be in planet earth is in the will of God's being right in the bullseye of God's will whether you are in Afghanistan or in Morningside is the safest place you can be on planet earth and so they walked in security because they walked in humility humbling themselves to the will and purpose of God in their lives you want to walk secure walk with humility under this king Secondly, humility leads to sensitivity. Notice they were incredibly sensitive to things others weren't. Millions of people would have seen the star, but they perceived what was going on with that star. They knew that star, that astronomical thing, whatever that was, and there's lots of speculation about what that might have been. But they 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 knew that that represented the birth of the ultimate king on planet Earth. Millions of would have seen the star but they perceived what it was about and they were willing to take the step of faith. And that's what humility does. It leads to sensitivity. They were earnestly seeking. And because of that, earnest seekers are the kind of folks you find. And they also had gifts. And their gifts that they gave, the gold frankincense and myrrh, as we'll see in a minute, they represented aspects of the one that they were borrowing before. They, they, this wasn't just a man. This wasn't just a child. They knew there was, they knew they perceived something about Jesus that many people, it took them years to perceive about Jesus. They got it on day one. Their gifts show that they got it on day one. Why? Because humility leads to sensitivity. They heard in their hearts. They knew certain things. And that's what humility does. And also humility resulted in them having dreams. God starts speaking to them in dreams. You start hearing God when you walk with a humility before God. And then finally, humility led to worship. It says in Matthew chapter two, verse eleven On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. These magistrates, these people who would have carried governmental responsibility in the Persian Empire, were now bowing, grown men before a toddler, giving ultimate honour and worshipping him not just as a king, but as God himself. Grown men before a child. Humility leads to worship. And they gave gifts. They opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold represents the, human- sorry, the divinity and the royalty of Jesus Christ. It's a kingly gift. It represented the fact that they knew you are the king. I mean, they declared that before Herod. Where's the one who's been born king? So they offered him worship as king. So I want to encourage you: humble yourself before the sovereign King. You might not always understand what the sovereign King is doing, but always worship Him. Humble yourself before the sovereign King, and declare Him your God and your King. And then the, the second gift, okay? Well, in that same Nativity that um, I talked about at the beginning, there was another point where the wise men came in in this kid's Nativity. And the first one came up with his gold and says, here's some gold. And he walked off. And then the second one came on with, and here's some myrrh. And then the third one walked in with his gift and he froze, forgot his lines. And all the parents in the audience were saying, willing him on. Eventually, he blurted out, "Oh, oh yeah, Frank sent this. And he put the gift down. Frank sent it. It wasn't Frank sent this. It was frankincense. The second gift was frankincense, and that's a that's an important gift because it represented the priestly role of Jesus. That we don't need human priests to intercede in our behalf. And I don't mean that to be offensive to any Catholic friends among us. Many of you have come from a Catholic background, but that's not in the Bible. What is in the Bible is Hebrews chapter four verse fifteen. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our uh, uh, and understand our weakness and our temptations. Jesus can totally understand us, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet without committing sin. Let me introduce you to the God who knows you and understands you better than anyone else knows you and understands you. A God who, whose way of reaching you wasn't in your face, but rather in your shoes, comes alongside you, walks where you walk, understands your humanity at every level, understands what it is to be a refugee, homeless, on his run for his life, understands bereavement as he, growing up, suffered the loss of his own father, Joseph, and the financial pressures that ensue, understood tiredness and hunger, and faced every temptation you and I face, yet was without sin, was rejected in his hometown, experienced rejection from the crowd who, who cheered for him to be crucified and understands total loneliness and abandonment of friends. Our God understands humanity at every level. I love that. And therefore, you're not coming to a God who is aloof, disinterested. You're coming to a God who's intimately interested in every, every single suffering you're facing. He gets it he gets it. And when the Bible says, mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, it's not just good advice. It's what God does. God mourns with those who mourn. And that doesn't give you the answers to the questions you're asking. He mourns with those who mourns and he rejoices with those who rejoice. That's what God does. And then the final gift was myrrh. And myrrh was a strange gift to give a child. But it was then prophetically understanding that the one we're bowing before, is not just the king, but he's the one who's going to suffer on behalf of humanity. Myrrh equals suffering. Myrrh was what was given to people who were in incredible pain. It was a painkiller. It was also used to embalm dead bodies. It's like a weird gift to give a kid. You know, here comes your uncle for Christmas. Oh, hi, uncle. John, what have you got for little Johnny? Oh, yeah, I've bought you some ibuprofen and a coffin. Happy Christmas, son. (laughs) Weird uncle, right? Weird uncle. That's a weird gift to give a kid. Painkiller and something to embody dead bodies with. And yet they gave this to this toddler. Why? Because they prophetically understood that they didn't fully grasp it, but we grasp it in retrospect and we're blown away. That the ultimate king had come. Yes, he's the ultimate king. And yet the ultimate king laid down his life and suffered on behalf of humanity to save us from our sins. Oh boy, you are so loved. You are so loved so loved by God. That's what God did. History starts with disobedience in a garden. For we said, not your will, but mine. But history changed 2,000 years ago when Jesus in a garden submitted himself to the will of his Father and said, not my will, but yours. Romans 5.19 says, for just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous through Jesus Christ. Made righteous. <sighs> we took his place in the fall. He took our place on the cross. We put ourselves where God alone deserved to be and God put himself where we alone deserve to be. The essence of sin is us substituting ourselves for God. The essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. Isn't God so good? So Herod, he was the kid who said, I want to be king. And that pride and that arrogance just it reeks all through the human race. There's a little Herod inside every single one of us that you've got to kill. You've got to put that little Herod inside your soul to death that arrogance that pride and if you can kill that herod then you can become great successful people because when success doesn't go to your head then more success is on its way because it doesn't go to your head so God can trust you with more you think you've seen success wow God's got more for you don't get full of yourself walk humble before this great king and let him continue to promote you Kill that little Herod in you, that Herod that causes frictions and paranoias in your relationships. Kill that Herod that wants to undermine your future. Instead, be like the humble Magi who said, where is he who has been born king? We have come to worship him. Acknowledge him as king in every area of your life. Not just the big headline, he's my king. Allow him into the areas where he hasn't previously been king. Allow him into the places in your life. Okay, you can be king in everything else, but not in my relationships. Or you can be king in everything else, but not in this area of my sin. You can be king in every other way, but not in my finances. Or No, let him be king. Either he's king or not. Let him be king. Worship and bow down. Worship God as your king. Jesus as your savior. And allow him to be the priest who totally knows you. The one through whom you know God for all eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are the king who came into the world for people like us thank you you love each and every one of us god thank you you love the people joining us online thank you you love the people who are here thank you god you know us better than we know ourselves and god your plans for us are incredible god we're impacted god by the the folly and the devastation that a man who was full of pride like herod caused on planet earth but also, God, we, we look at that same pride in our lives. And we see that same pride in our city, in our hearts, in, in the lives of those around us. And we see the same devastation being wrought. Darkness coming where there shouldn't be darkness. Insecurities and paranoias. And God, we want to be people who walk in the light. We want to be people who walk free. We want to be those, God, who live knowing a security that comes from humbling ourselves under God. So God, we humble ourselves before you today. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We want to be like the wise men. In our hearts, we bow before you just now. We worship you, Jesus Christ. No longer a toddler, but seated on the cross. Seated on the throne, having died on the cross. Risen from the dead. Seated in the throne of the universe. Jesus Christ is Lord. We worship you. We acknowledge you today. Why don't don't you open your hands before God just now? Just for those watching online, just open your hands before God. Those seated here, just every single one, just open your hands before God. Let this, your hands, your open hands, it's like a physical expression of an open heart. Open your hands before him. And just in your heart, Declare him as Lord. Invite him to be Lord of every area of your life. See, where this king reigns, everything he reigns over comes to life. You want life in every area of your life? Invite him into those relationships. Invite him into those struggles. Invite him into that area of darkness. When you open your hands, let go of your pride. Let go of your aggravations. Just release them to God humble yourself acknowledge jesus as your king as your god as the one through who knows you and who's for you and the one who suffered in your place just give your life to him afresh while people are doing that i want to give you a particular opportunity today if if you if you don't yet have a relationship with god i'm so thrilled that you're joining us today. And this moment's for you. If you want to know God, you want to come into this eternal relationship with God, that's why Jesus came. He came so you could have this. Then this is your moment. If that's you, just pray this prayer with me just now. Under your breath, repeat after me. Dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you. You are willing to come into this world Knowing full well it cost you everything. And you came to rescue us. You came to save us from our sins. And I know that I am a sinner. Forgive me for all my sin. Give me a new start today, I pray. Jesus, I believe you died and rose again for me. I believe you're alive right now. And today, for the first time, I declare you. As Lord of my life, I give my whole life to you. Thanks for hearing my prayer. Keep your eyes closed, folks. I'd love to pray for anyone today who prayed that prayer in order to know who I'm praying for. Can I just ask you, while everyone else's eyes are closed, could you just let me know, Peter, I prayed that prayer. Today, I'm putting my trust in Jesus as my Savior. Then can you just simply, just quickly raise your hand and say, that's me today. I'll wait. Is there anyone like that today? Just quickly raise your hand. It's the biggest and most important decision anyone can make. Thank you. Is there anyone else? And for those joining online, you click that hand-raised button. We want to connect with you as well. Father, I pray for this precious person today and for anyone online and anyone else who's prayed. I thank you you've heard their prayer. Thank you as they've trusted in Jesus. Thank you you've saved their soul. Let them know joy. Let them know that total acceptance. And the new star, sins wiped clean, a whole new star with God forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.